0: You've been searching for us without knowing it. Following oblique references in crudely Xeroxed marginal Sam Zedet publications, crackpot mystical pamphlets, mail order courses, a paper trail and a coded series of rumors spread at street level, and the propagation of certain acts of insurrection against the planetary work machine and the consensus reality or perhaps through various obscure mammographed technical papers on the edges of chaos science, through pirate computer networks, or even through pure synchronicity in the pursuit of dreams. In any case, we know something about you, your interests, deeds and desires, works and days, and... We know your address, otherwise, you would not be reading this brochure.
1: Hey all you Discordians and Synchro Shamans. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, the podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Took a little pause there.
0: Well, I don't think so. (laughs) i mean is there a lot of like uh what is that called um like dead air no like you mean you took a little pause no you took well i I had to here we go like swallow like mid Mm -hmm. it happens every time in that exact spot which is the best uh no i bet i didn't take a pause i think Mm -hmm. there might be some latency Ooh. i mean can you tell us what latency is uh yeah sure it's a delay in audio no Hey man. hey ha- listeners, how are we doing? Happy May
1: Day Here, you want to hit that again? I mean,
0: no, I'm just good. gonna cut out all the shit that was just going on <laughs> when it like took a long pause and then it's just like happy May Day, brother. Okay, perfect, perfect. And that's when you would of course respond. I mean like this is going back, I thought this you is were like no what is it the first episode we've ever
1: done before? <laughs> I gotta tell you how to <laughs> God know because man, how like just
0: tense. Huh? We were. Oh, man. So oh, it's
1: hard to listen to. Yeah. No, no, no. I thought you were going to take it again. Like, how about this? From man? Happy May no Day. No more thinking.
0: Okay. <clears throat> just respond. Okay. Okay. Hey, man. Hey, sorry. Hey, brother. Sorry. Hey. Happy May Day, brother. The other one, I'll use my other one. Just respond to the. F- the you sense. just said brother twice. Brother, brother. Hey, brother. Happy May Day, brother. <clears throat> you sound like a friend of mine. Just ours. go ahead, man. Just pretend like I said it. All you gotta do is respond. I've already got a good one know, but, in there. Okay. And I would just say it. Hey. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> just say it. There. Hey man, happy May Day.
1: Yeah, man, I'm excited. May Day is. Re- <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: Happy May Day, man. Hey, happy May Day. Now excited to be here for uh, for those of you that are new to the show. <laughs> They might not know what May Day is or why we even talk about it. I'd like to take a second, real quick, to say, hey, there's something that you should probably go back and listen to. And for our seasoned vets that are listeners that show up every week after week, they mm-hmm. you might need a little touch, uh, what's it called? Um, A refresher. Refresher. There you go. Go back and listen to Season 1, Episode 35, The May Day Mystery. Now, every year. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Boy, got real serious. Every year. He's <laughs> <laughs> so excited. I was just reading your mind. Every I year. Good. I was coming in strong. Mm-hmm. For the benefit of kind of, well, wetting everybody's whistle, can you, can you briefly explain to folks and remind them what the Mayday mystery kind of is? Just a little you know, nugget of synopsis so that we can kind of uh, get them excited. To go hear that previous episode.
1: Every year since at least 1981, a strange cryptic ad can be found inside the pages of the Daily Wildcat, the University of Arizona student newspaper. Hmm. On May 1st, 1981, a seemingly simple and mysterious photo, a combination of English letters and Chinese symbols was published. The picture itself could have easily been overlooked or perhaps even ignored. And if that had been the only one of its kind, we'd wager it would have been. But that's not what happened. Every year since, on May 1st, a new ad can be found. More complex, more intricate, more mysterious, more strange, and thus the Mayday mystery was born.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Who is spending the money to have these ads published? What does each strange mix of symbols, geographical coordinates, pictures, equations, quotes, and phrases mean? And what is the strange smiley face that is seemingly scribbled on each? Who is the orphanage? the group or individual who claimed to be
0: behind it all. And today, listener, when you're listening to this episode, it's May 1st. And thus, Mm -hmm. we are celebrating May Day together. So we haven't had a chance at the time of recording this episode to see the newly released May Day, Mm -hmm. you know, PDF at this point from, I guess, the orphanage, if they're still kicking. Uh, We'll be available. We'll put it in our Instagram stories, but we'll get the hard copy over to our patrons on our Patreon.
1: The frustrating thing about the Mayday mystery is it is so, especially these newer ones, it is so like just, it really does get like more elaborate, more complex, mm-hmm. more, just more of everything, you know? Yeah. And so I remember we did this and we really went pretty, pretty hard in the paint yeah. on finding as much as we could out about it and really getting into it. And I remember. Being extremely excited because it was like, okay, it's gonna come out today. And then it comes out and it's just like, where do you begin? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I consider us pretty smart dudes, you know, relatively speaking. Half of us, yeah. (laughs) You're exactly right. Half of us. (laughs) Uh, Hey, man, just because I rambled does not
0: mean that I was. How did you know I was? uh, You're assuming (laughs) that you're the half that's not smart? I mean, that's a heck of an assumption. And it's one that I make. No, but what I was saying
1: before I was interrupted, as usual, Mm. is is, it's just, I I think at this point, because, I mean, like I said, you know, it's been going since 1981, or at least that they know of. It actually could have gone further back. And I think in our episode, we actually did discover that maybe 1979, there was some, Hmm. something. Hmm. I can't remember. But all that to say, I think now it's gone for so long that it's starting to incorporate like
0: callbacks
1: to previous you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. re- know kind of releases, releases or stuff, whatever yeah clues yeah, yeah yeah and i'm glad that you think it's to really that deep. point
0: because that's actually not what our episode's about today <laughs> 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 but even more exciting or equally exciting i should say is today mm-hmm. we're going to talk about one of the original gangsters oh yeah of all pre-internet or even early internet mysteries ever mm-hmm. okay today we're going to talk about the Young's Hat
1: Mystery. Yes, this is one that we have literally talked about since season one. No, we were talking about
0: this is before, when we were just like, "Hey, man, I think we should do a,
1: pro- a yeah, podcast." Yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. It's one of those things that it is a it is the sibling conspiracy to other ones that you may recognize, Cicada three three zero one. Lake City Quiet Pills, which we just did that episode, the Toynbee Tiles, and the Mayday Mystery, they're just that, it's that, like, it sort of encompasses the the early internet, pre-internet, that sort of, uh, like, zine culture, and, like, you know, the idea of these sort of super genius folks, you know, standing in a Kinko's, printing out, you know, tons <laughs> of Xerox copies so they can yeah. plaster them all over their, there's City or
0: whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just all that about stuff gra- we love, that analog kind of kind of stuff we love. Yeah, like the old school grassroots. I mean, mm-hmm. don't, you can't forget about Grasshopper 4545. What is that? I'm just that? kidding, dude. <laughs> Cicada 3 whatever. Okay. No, which, by the way, we will be doing an episode
1: on Cicada 3301 because it's also equally fascinating. But like you said, Ong's Hat is, I believe, is the f- very first of its kind. Has to be. I think it predates... All of these other ones, because it did start out actually pre-internet and then sort of made, mm-hmm. made its way
0: into... Now don't get too far, man. Let's just dive right in. Okay, let's do it. In the heart of the Pine Barrens of New Jersey lies a small ghost town called Ong's Hat. The town was abandoned in the early 20th century, but it has since become the center of a mysterious conspiracy theory that has captured the imagination of many. I mean, it's truly littered the forums ever since its inception. The Ong's Hat mystery revolves around a group of renegade scientists who allegedly discovered a way to travel to alternate realities. Mm. Now, according to the theory, the scientists set up a research facility in Ong's Hat, where they conducted experiments to interdimensional travel the story goes that these scientists were successful in their experiments and were able to travel to these realities where they discovered new technologies knowledge that they brought back to our reality however the government allegedly became aware of this research and shut it down forcing the scientists to go into hiding now that is the very very broad scope but i want to give a little background if that's okay ty because i think like there's some context here that is going to kind of paint a little bit better of a picture Mm. of the time period some more details about the scientists themselves Mm -hmm. you know it's going to explain a lot about who these folks were uh and it's going to sound funny at first see folks i can i i've got an admission here we this is a Not our first attempt at this episode. (laughs) (laughs) We previously recorded a bunch of stuff. Yeah. The thing is, initially, whenever I, just like most of these things, whenever I agree to kind of like, yeah, okay, let's do this, I always kind of uh, naively sort of don't have a great grasp on how much detail or how like deep they go. And this one is so much deeper than I initially imagined. And yeah. Tyler, I think you can admit it mm-hmm. far more detailed than, than you knew about too, right? Oh dude, 100%. I, I didn't and, know half of this stuff. And so when I start out with this first piece of information, Tyler is immediately going to think, here we go again, <laughs> because we literally spent like, and we're going to have that detailed version yeah kind of as an expansion over on our Patreon. Yeah, and that episode is going to be called Getting
1: Granular with Woody. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) It is. But it's just so fascinating is the problem.
1: And also, Getting Granular with Woody, that Patreon episode is literally Woody going through a catalog explaining
0: the books. Well, and okay, we'll get there, dude. All right, but first I need to take you back to around the 1950s. (laughs) Oh, geez. You see what I'm saying? All right. (laughs) The year fourteen, but no, but for real, like all this stuff kind of matters because it's it's so interesting in terms of like the background of these scientists, the background yeah. of yeah. why these folks had interest in all this stuff. We're going to take it to the nineteen fifties. Well, when- well, hold on, hold on now. now, you're jumping way ahead. Let's start out with Jacob
1: Ong's great great grandfather. Tell us that story. Oh, okay. So you do want me to go into <laughs> detail about? <laughs> well, I do. I do think you should briefly mention. Where well, the name okay. and there's
0: all right. even the the thing about this mystery is there's even plenty of folklore, folklore and mystery that surrounds the town of Ong's Hat. Yep. Anyway, again, mm-hmm. it's like this little bitty town that's located in this like heavily wooded area, the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of history about why that town is, uh, or that area is uh, important in in terms of. Um, national security, you know, Mm -hmm. dating all the way back to World War II. Yeah. Um, You know, there's just all kinds of stuff that's kind of happened in this area. And also, if the New Jersey Pine Barrens sound familiar,
1: it's because Mm -hmm. that is the home of the Jersey Devil. That's right, man. One of the top top
0: five cryptids of all time, probably. Of all time, right? And so there's just this already mystique that surrounds this place, okay? Yeah. But around the 1950s, This group of white jazz musicians and poets Mm -hmm. who were formerly members of the Newark founded Moorish Science Temple founded this thing called the Moorish Orthodox Church of America. The members of this small sort of sect traveled the world and, and learned a bunch of like philosophies and spiritual practices from all different masters of the Eastern world. One of these guys is a guy named Wally Fard. And he traveled for years in India, Persia, and then kind of like lastly ended up in Afghanistan Mm. where he like, again, throughout that time collected almost a bunch of like exotic initiations throughout all of this. All right. Imagine this guy that's just on this spiritual journey. He's, he's practicing with like Hindu masters. He's practicing with uh, some, you know, Islamic traditions, like all of these different things kind of, you know, boiling up now, which he would be,
1: he would be kind of known as sort of like a, Melina Blavatsky, or uh, even some Aleister Crowley. It's that sort mm-hmm. of like, they would be considered like an
0: adept. Mm-hmm. That's what they were commonly There's called. These, They're these like highly intellectuals yeah. who are also interested in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. and trying to like make it all kind of like congeal into some sort of understanding. Right. Okay. Well, kind of anyway, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more than that. So in the late 70s, let's just say that Afghanistan was a little bit of a hot zone russia was kind of like he needed to move back to the states Mm -hmm. so he comes back he'd made a fair amount of money along the way and he purchases 200 acres in the new jersey pine barrens Mm -hmm. and this is around 1978 all right Mm -hmm. now during this time he'd also kind of almost collected a group of you know, runaways or whatever from different places. And they moved on this property and formed like a newer, even more sort of exclusive sect of that church. And they called it the Moorish Science Ashram.
1: And also the Moorish Science is sort of, it's sort of a play off, and actually it immediately made me think of Project Bluebeam because it's this concept that Jesus, Buddha, Confucius, it, it's the that they're all sort of reincarnated holy mm, mm-hmm.
0: sort of avatars. And they're yeah. so
1: it's like all those religions are sort of combined.
0: Yeah. So yeah. And it's interesting. I don't know. There's a book I, I don't remember it. I know it's on my bookshelf downstairs somewhere. That in a you know, in a sort of respectful way kind of illustrates the parallels between all of those important figures. But anyhow. Mm-hmm. Wally Fard publishes this series of Xerox newsletters that he called the visionary recitals that kind of proclaim his beliefs, his thoughts, the mm-hmm. whole thing. All right. People that are already sort of on the fringe uh, and interested in this kind of stuff who had read these words started to kind of like flock to this area uh, deep within these pine barrens. Mm-hmm. Among them were two young chaos scientists that were recently fired from Princeton on a charge of, quote, seditious nonsense. Mm-hmm. They're a brother and sister, and their names were Frank and Althea Dobbs. I love it. And also, just to give
1: some uh, sort of, I don't know, give you sort of a visual thing, mm-hmm. um, the, the, it's super weird because an, an ashram is like, you're going to see that in India, or it's right. sort of a like a spiritual you know, sort of, uh, monastery or or hermitage kind of thing. It's like a, it's, it's where it's sort of like a retreat for like holy spiritual people. Right. Where they can practice their meditation and their yoga and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's, but it's weird to think about there's that out in the middle of the Pine Barrens in New
0: Jersey. Right, and that there's enough people kind of flocking to this area Mm -hmm. based on these Xeroxed copies of, you know, uh, what was it called? The Visionary Visionary Recitals. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In other words, hold on just a quick second. It's interesting because, like, this is, again, like an illustration of, like, everyone has an audience. It doesn't matter how big or small it is, Mm -hmm. that audience, you know, is going to be attracted to whatever that person is putting out there because of similar interests right and Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what's happening here kind of like you guys listening to the podcast you guys found us right Mm -hmm. anyway so we're here this is when we make the announcement i think should we go ahead and do it what are we what are we doing we're we're starting a a cult and it's going (laughs) to be okay but our ashram is going to be called the ashrad so So, I i like it you know i like it okay the these Princeton scientists that were recently fired, the Dobbs twins, okay, had a very interesting and I think uh, important, at least important to mention, childhood. Listen to this. These twins spent their early childhood in a UFO cult commune in rural Texas that was founded by their father, who uh, was a retired, of course, insurance salesman who was murdered by rogue disciples during a revival Wow. In California. Yeah. So you could even say that these siblings had quite the head start in the world of chaos. hmm And the Ashram's sort of, you know, overall, not theme, but uh, philosophy mm-hmm. kind of suited them pretty well. Yeah. Here's another interesting thing about the Pine Barrens. Obviously, we've got the Jersey Devil, but it's often been called a perfect place for a UFO landing. So they settled into this old kind of uh, Airstream camper trailer and constructed this like crude laboratory in a rebuilt barn hidden deep in the the pines. This community really sort of began taking shape around these like strange and startling breakthroughs that were being made by the Dobbs twins during these years. And the Dobbs twins were also undergraduates of the University of Texas. And, well, that did not tell you everything you need to know. Gigamaggies. Mm -hmm. Okay. These these siblings, while they were undergrads, they started to produce, like, a series of these equations, which they really believed contained the seeds of a new science that they called cognitive chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, their dismissal from Princeton followed their attempt to submit these theorems as part of their PhD thesis. They were actually, like, uh, submitting it as a joint thesis. And essentially, when they tried to do this, I think they, they essentially got just, like, laughed out of the room and sort of, you know, yeah, you guys, for I mean, sure. what the heck, right? And basically, their theories promoted this idea that people could tap into the unused portion of their brains yep. and do things such as, like, stop their aging purge diseases from their systems
1: which is is really fascinating because it's sort of it's sort of showing and i mean i think it's i mean you can't pick a better place with like being sort of a spiritual retreat at an ashram because it's they're looking at all these things from this sort of science. i mean granted a lot of people still view it as like pseudoscience but the sort of pseudoscientific side, whereas these sort of adepts and these, uh, sort of, you know, spiritual, like Tibetan monks and stuff, they were kind of known for, for having these like powers. Mm-hmm. So
0: I think that's a really interesting sort of. parallel, right. For sure, man. And I mean, God, if I could use the unused port now, I'm not sure now, you know, being a, a parent and stuff, I don't know how much unused portion I have left. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's, there's some in there. And I would love to kind of like reverse the aging pro- That would be great. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the ashram, with this research that they were continuing, now that, you know, they've set up their own lab, they're not at Princeton anymore, they don't have the constraints that, you know, they were given there, they can basically do anything, right? They founded this thing called the Institute of Chaos Studies. Which, my God, that sounds amazing. Right? The advancements actually took place even faster than the researchers themselves had anticipated. Mm -hmm. In just three years, they discovered an incredible and peculiar device, which later became known as the gate. Mm -hmm. It was actually a part of a series of devices called the egg by the scientists. Mm -hmm. Here's what these things did, man. This is when it starts to get... Buckle up, folks. So what they did was they connected individuals to computers and monitored their brain activity. And then through trials that involved things like sex, drugs, and Mm -hmm. other brainwave influencers, the researchers managed to manipulate the disorder they observed in the mind. They had a couple of different iterations of this egg that they tested, And the fourth one was tested on this runway. And the second that they activated this thing, both the subject to the guy in it and the device vanished, Hmm. only to reappear... Shortly after now, that time period was exactly seven minutes. Which is the number of completion in the Bible. This, of course, provoked a moment of fear and panic. I mean, can you just imagine, man? I mean, I think it's easier for us to all imagine now yeah. because we've seen movies like Ant Man or Endgame or whatever mm-hmm. where they're like Inner yeah. Space. Yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> Inner Space, which is a great it, movie. By that's way. a great Un- movie. Underrated. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Martin Short fan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're just panicking. They're like, what in the world? You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. For about seven minutes, the entire ICS lost its collective cool, you know. Mm -hmm. People were just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. At that point, though, the egg reappeared with its passenger intact and beaming. Mm. The young man stated that he had journeyed to a dimension adjacent to ours. And thus, the gateway had been opened now interestingly enough timing wise there was a chemical spill from fort dix which caused nuclear material and from what i've read weapons-grade plutonium actually to leak into the area and so the iss i mean ics members were forced to abandon their pine barren base we'll talk about the timing of that in just a second but instead of attempting to flee to another physical location you know, close by or anything like that. Instead, they chose to embark on an interdimensional journey, using this harnessed power of the gate to transport themselves and their belongings to a parallel dimension where they could continue to dwell in Ong's head. But here's what's important but devoid of any human presence. You see, when that young man came back, he said that, yeah he had journeyed to this other dimension Mm -hmm. it was almost exact except that there were no other humans it was as if humans had never existed yeah it's amazing so they decided to kind of gather up all their stuff hey we're taking everything and we're just gonna you know one by one just transport the lab transport the people we'll live there yeah we know we can kind of come back and forth and we'll just continue to like build stuff up there. If something goes wrong, well we'll come back and you know, if we need supplies. Yeah. And that's kind of basically, as the legend goes, what they decided
1: to do. I and mean, that is the coolest part. I mean, the fact that like the idea that they were going back and forth between dimensions or you know, whatever. Realities, whatever. Yeah. Reality, uh, th- like they're like sort of piece by piece, like bringing parts over and then going back, mm. and mm-hmm. that's just such a. I mean, I do, I do have to say, like for this time period, like this is a really innovative idea. Mm. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not sure, something man. that you you would see in pop culture, or oh yeah, you Be, know what yeah.
0: I mean? No, no, yeah. So here's kind of how the legend sort of stops. Legend has it that all these experiments, again, had sparked this attention by the government and even led to potentially a brutal and gruesome confrontation. Rumor has it that when the government became, when the U.S. government became aware of these experiments, Mm -hmm. they ended up launching a raid on the compound, Mm -hmm. which resulted in the deaths of, you know, several members. I think they actually said seven uh, of the group. Other people have suggested that the fatal attack was carried out by Delta Force itself. I mean, I don't know if Chuck Norris that was God leaving you from me. I was right about to say that. Or what? Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately, anytime I see the word Delta Force, it's just like I see Chuck Norris. Yeah, You know, yep. when you're so bad at it, you, you don't even have to wear camouflage. You just wear jeans and cut off shirt. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, w- when I hear the
1: term Delta Force, you know, usually people immediately sort of see the word. I immediately mm-hmm. just see Chuck just... Chuck Norris. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Man, do you remember like all those Chuck Norris jokes, man, from like way back they in the were day? pretty those funny. Were gold? Yeah, they really were. Pre- pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Russians, like what are you like uh, you a, you commie, bro? I'm not a commie. Uh, or <laughs> okay, a Russian. Um, others believed, speaking of the Ruskies, mm-hmm. that the Russian or even potentially Danish military was behind the violence. So mm-hmm. there's rumor that other governments potentially found, caught wind of this technology and if you think about it boy what a way to i mean think about it this way i just thought of this i mean you know whatever i don't want to i don't want to take too much time on the on the show like bragging about here we go you know being being smart or anything but imagine if you're going to use this technology in a like strategic military way mm-hmm. you could go to this other reality transport all kinds of weaponry and bring like an egg now again i don't know how it all works but i'm just saying bring an egg with you to the equivalent of whatever your target is then you just appear leave the you know freaking you know bomb or whatever Mm -hmm. disappear into the other reality travel safely you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. incredible oh yeah here's something that's interesting okay well i'll say this the reason we know all about this was a series of xeroxed pamphlets that began to appear kind of keying people into this mystery that made reference to a catalog that was found of a list of books that seemingly in a, in a cryptic way laid all of this information out right. and kind of told the story. The idea is that within these findable books, mm-hmm. pieces of nonfiction and even fiction, and some like hard-to-find manuscripts and, you know, drafts and all these things. This company had basically collected all these things to kind of show, hey, when they're talking about this, see, this is what has happened. And and, and they were using this literature to kind of spread the word, okay? Yep. The catalog itself was called the Incunabula. And, again, it lists, like, hold on, let me... We're not going to go into each one, dude, I promise. We're saving that for the Patreon. Yeah, it lists like 27 books. Everything from parallel universes, quantum reality, it gets really deep. But within that catalog, it kind of has like little breakdowns of each book and why it's significant to this thing. Well, along with that catalog, pamphlets about the Ong's Hat mystery started to appear in people's mailboxes. Not only that, but this is around the beginning of the early stages of the internet one of our favorite time periods oh, yeah. when the way that people were kind of experimenting with uh communicating with one another were what was on like message boards right mm-hmm. and people would just kind of like leave this leave
1: that I mean that and you got to think like if if you're for our younger listeners like this is what the internet was it was yeah what we know is like like what he said message boards or like forums It was basically kind of like how Reddit is now, but that was the extent of the whole internet. Yeah, oh yeah. That's it, man.
0: I mean, you would you would basically just like wait at the mailbox to get another like AOL trial disc (laughs) CD ROM. And then you would put it in and you'd be like, Yes, I can finally use this. Like, and then you it would take a a full rounded 30 minutes before you could even get to this message board, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. And all of that to basically find out just random information. But that was the beginning of it. And then they started to kind of like have like almost like subreddits, but subcategories where you could find people with like-minded interest. And so I think this is where like all these little like clues and things, a discussion began to open up Mm -hmm. about Ong's Hat and a potential gateway. Yeah. To other dimensions. Let's take a quick break, and then when we get back, let's talk about the guy that basically spearheaded the discovery of this mm-hmm. and even, like, went into deep investigation of it into the late 80s and, and early 90s. His name was Joseph Matheny.
2: After these messages, we'll be right
1: back. This episode is brought to you by
0: Visit Williamsburg.
2: America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense,
0: broad line. For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant
2: man
1: like creatures.
0: From another dimension, another world. I don't know.
1: The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchen, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. Hey, you know what's an, a weird aspect of this that, k- that kind of feels weird to me is the fact that the Manhattan Project, you know, were the sort of the historical sort of urban legend, if you will, even though we mm-hmm. have tons of documents now, the you know, when the USS Eldridge, like, they were trying to make it invisible, but it sort of shifted into another reality. And then when it Reappeared Like, some of the men, like, died because they were sort of fused into the walls and stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The interesting thing is I just looked into this, and this was done, this was created in 1943, and the head scientist was actually from
0: the Princeton.
1: So it's weird uh-huh. that this same college would have kicked these two twins out, you know, when they were sort of on the same kind of wow. track, you know? He-
0: It's interesting too, man, like Princeton is pretty close by to Ong's Hat, Mm -hmm. that area. And apparently like Ong's Hat was kind of like a hangout location. Mm -hmm. I I just feel like there was like a lot of connections between a lot of these like really brilliant minds. I mean, that's the interesting thing, you know, not to say that if you didn't go to Princeton Mm -hmm. or you didn't go to Harvard that, you know, the other students at your university weren't all brilliant and stuff. I would just think that there's a large concentration of like this type of person yeah. <laughs> at Princeton, you know? Right. And yeah, I mean, to think that they didn't all just like kind of hang out mm-hmm. and wax poetic on scientific uh, stuff is just, you know. Well, the, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because that
1: is, as we we move forward, you're, you're going to see that like there's a common theme and that is like these different groups and these different sort of, I mean, religions even. Like they're... Always made up of these sort of, I don't know, like art, like counterculture sort of art collectives. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like these artists. You know, I mean, I think of like sort of like the Beat Generation. I mean, we're huge, you know, Ginsburg and Kerouac. And it's like those kind of people who just sort of like sit around like taking psychedelics and like benzos. And like you said, it's sort of waxing poetic about, you know, culture and society. But like with these people, and again, I go back to that interesting idea of, like, sort of a merge between your super, you know, super genius, like, scientific-based or minded folks with your, you know, equally smart sort of spiritual kind of heavy folks. So, it's
0: a, it's a cool cool idea, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And, like, on the Patreon, we'll kind of talk a little bit more in depth about the... Um Institute of Chaos Science, mm-hmm. because they actually part of what they did while they were also doing these experiments and stuff w- was develop a quote unquote curriculum mm. that they would practice, mm-hmm. kind of trying to enhance consciousness and really just it, it was heavy into the emotional and psychic activities, and how to control them mm-hmm. and how to use them, you know, to their advantage and stuff. Well, the and, and
1: another interesting thing is that. I mean, it's funny because if they if these twins were kicked out, you know, and they had to mm-hmm. go do their do their research and their, you know, um, scientific sort of explorations elsewhere outside of, you know, Princeton or whatever. it It's funny because at the at the same time, I mean, I think it's 1972 or 73 when, uh, you know, the military and, you know, they would start testing like remote viewing. Yeah like Russell Targ and like Hal Puthoff, these guys were like getting into that. And then by, I think, 1978, you know, you had things such as like Project Stargate and it was like a very well-known thing. So either either they were aware of these things or they were kind of like hitting those same kind of, you know, they were coming to the like the sort of similar conclusions in their research, you know, separately. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty
0: fascinating. yeah. For sure. I mean, they were definitely reading a lot of the same yeah, sort of right. source material that led them in that direction. Mm-hmm. For sure, it's kind of like if all your buddies just listen to the Rolling Stones, right? But they're also musicians. A lot of them are going to kind of sound the same, right? Sort of like so, blues and, uh, yeah, the, and like we weren't really like that cool, and, not at all, you know and then everybody like me found us because we had skinny jeans and they wore skinny jeans and it's like oh so you're you know but I'm the yeah, old, you right. know what I mean because I don't like that guy because mm-hmm. he's you know got a backpack yeah, and, you know chain wallet and I and I, um, got you, I got you heated up I'm sorry about that but I mean god almighty, man these guys and then, and then and then like, like they, 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 you know dude what did I do to these guys okay look we need to stay on track yeah, yeah. here we we already got off track yes okay let's talk about Joseph Matheny okay all right, so Joseph Matheny—the reason why this guy is significant—well, there's various reasons. Mm. But first off, he's basically the one that kind of introduced this mystery to the world. Mm-hmm. Well, like before we do, man, I gotta, I gotta kind of—don't give it away. No, 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 no. I, I want to read the end of. You just want to read a f- just a couple books out of the catalog. No, 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 no. So Joseph Matheny released this paper mm-hmm. that was called Ong's Hat, Gateway to the Dimensions. All right, It's this full-color brochure, and it kind of explains everything from the background of all this, the history, mm-hmm. the various characters involved, and, and and all that. But what's interesting to me is really the last couple of paragraphs man and if you'll permit me i just think they're it's it's interesting because it's essentially from this organization Hmm. the institute of of chaos sciences and and it's kind of like their final statement okay yeah dude let's, let's do it okay it says the colonization of new worlds even an infinity of them can never act as a panacea for the ills of consensus reality only as a palliative we have always taken our diseases with us to each new frontier everywhere we go we exterminate aborigines and battle with our weapons of law and order against the chaos of reality but this time we believe the affair will go differently because this time the journey outward can only be made simultaneously with the journey inward. And because this bootstrap trick can only be attained by a consciousness which, to a significant degree, has overcome itself, liberated itself from self-sickness and realized self. Not that we think ourselves saints or try to behave morally or imagine ourselves a super race absolved from good and evil. Simply, we like to consider ourselves awake when we are awake, sleeping when we sleep, we enjoy good health. We have learned that desire demands the other just as it demands the self. We see no end to growth while life lasts, no cessation of unfolding or continual outpouring of form from chaos. We are moving on, nomads or monads of the dimensions. Sometimes we feel almost satisfied, at other times, terrified. Meanwhile, our agents of chaos remain behind to set up an ICS course, distribute Moorish Orthodox literature, a major mask for our propaganda, Mm -hmm. to subvert and evade our enemies. We haven't spoken yet of our enemies. Indeed, there remains much we have not said. This text, disguised as a sort of New Age vacation brochure, must fall silent at this point. Satisfied that it has embedded within itself enough clues for its intended readers who are already halfway to Ong's Hat in any case. Mm. But not enough for those with little faith to follow. Chaos never died. And that's it. Mm. So, uh, Joseph Matheny, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay, he's the guy that kind of like brought all this to light and began to... People started seeing this mystery kind of pop up. Oh, there's a gateway to another dimension. You know, it's like little yeah. pieces mm-hmm. of information kind of scattered scattered across various media platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the hand hand Z rocks, yeah, you know, crude photocopy pamphlets that were being mailed out. Yeah. And, you know, you could just go to your mailbox, and chances are if you were interested in this kind of stuff, you open your mailbox and all of a sudden you had this pamphlet. So Joseph Matheny, when he was a little bit younger, I mean, this is just, you know, we often talk about uh, serendipity or synchronicity. Mm-hmm. This is a section where, like, I really think he believes that it, that's kind of what led him to this. So he was living in this apartment in Santa Cruz, California, and he had a buddy, uh, a guy that he kind of referred to as Bob, basically. Mm-hmm. And Bob was, like, kind of one of those out-there thinkers. He was super interesting to Joseph Matheny because it would be like, okay you know you're hanging out with your buddy having a drink after work or something mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like for the most part people would be like well man did you see the braves last night or hey man i'm like working on this or yada 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 bob would be the guy that that's like talking about you know metaphysics and mm-hmm. quantum entanglement reality entanglements and all this kind of thing and in fact at the time he didn't really know it but Bob later kind of talked about how he was a part of this project that created this thing called the Metaphase Typewriter. Right. So the Metaphase Typewriter, I'm not going to get as deep as I did for the Patreon on this, but it's a quantum uncertain Mm -hmm. text generator open for, well, that's even too scientific. Well, no, no, no. Can can I take this?
1: Yes. (laughs) So uh, the Metaphase Typewriter is sort of this continuation of... You know, we keep talking about, like, chaos, you know, like the Institute of Chaos. So basically, the chaos theory, when it's applied to, you know, things like physics and and things like that, it's, it's basically sort of, it's kind of known as, like, the science of surprises. And so it takes these things that are sort of unpredictable, nonlinear, unexpected, and, you know, kind of... It focuses on things that are sort of impossible to predict, like, you know, turbulence, the weather, the stock market, brain states, yada yada yada. And and like I said, in physics it sort of carries over to and it's described as being called fractal mathematics. And it's basically it basically a way to see that even things in complete chaos will will create patterns. You know, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really pretty pretty fascinating but so yeah so this uh nick herbert guy would go on to create this metaphase typewriter with uh richard shoop of xerox you know who we all know Mm -hmm. xerox is and it was known as a quantum operated device and originally its purpose was to communicate with disembodied spirits Mm -hmm. despite many tests including an attempt to contact the spirit of harry houdini on the 100th anniversary of his death uh the group reported no success with the device So basically it was this idea of, I guess each key would sort of be like a random Mm -hmm. list of like words or
0: I can't remember exactly what it, it, do you, do you know? It gets, it gets pretty, um, it gets pretty in depth here. I mean, they, they would use like a Geiger counter Mm -hmm. to measure the, you know, and and then they would kind of like document the intervals between the Geiger uh, Geiger counter Mm -hmm. clicks and, uh, it gets a little it gets a little yeah, out yeah. there
1: but right. but it, it 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 was just a continuation of other things like like automatic writing mm-hmm. uh like yeah using newer technology yeah it just same continued relative on relative content and what's yeah. interesting is I mean I, I'm not driving away from the dock yet but but yeah. <laughs> no 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 this is important though this is the same kind of continuation and now we have things like the Randonautica app and we'll get into this in a little while but it's it's ways. Basically, it's ways that you sort of go around,
0: like, the natural flow. So, like, say you have... Well, and and to not make it sound so detrimental, to add a little chaos to an organized life, look, I think everybody listening can kind of agree in some ways, some in more, you know, extreme ways, and some in more uh, or or less extreme ways. Mm -hmm. We get into these patterns in life where there's this, like, definitive sort of structure to our day, to our schedule, to the things that we decide to do, mm-hmm. the app, like what Tyler's talking about is like kind of electively sort of sprinkling in some chaos right. into that, right? And causing you to do or go somewhere mm-hmm. randomly. Yeah. Quote unquote, right?
1: Yeah. And and what's interesting is when I was looking into this, it, it kind of dates back to, I mean, probably earlier. But uh, in 1956, this French guy named Guy Debord created this thing called the Derive. And it was basically a way to uh, sort of test like, like natural behavior in urban society. So you, you know, say instead of like us, if we went to a city, it was like, okay, well, we need to go from point A to point B. And there's going to be this natural flow where people naturally kind of go. You know what I mean? You're going to follow the roads. And so this Derive idea was a way of sort of getting out of that flow, which means, like what he said, you're adding sort of chaos to it. And, you know, like we said before, this this was birthed out of this this sort of artist collective Mm. called the Letterist International. And it was just a way of, you know, synchronistically... Sort of breaking the norm of of where the flow natural flow would be, and and by doing that, then you start. You know, like I said with uh, the Randonautica app, which we're going to get into fully on an episode later. But it's a way of doing that, and then also being really aware of these synchronicities that you you sort of encounter on your way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I
0: think too, like. For some people, uh, uh, just a very quick example of how it's interesting because people are so different. Like some people, and again, this I hope this doesn't come off as like a judgmental statement. Mm-hmm. I think when you use words like chaos, it implies It sounds bad. Like, yeah, it implies right. like something bad or like... And so whenever I'm talking about it in terms of uh, one person this and one person that, it sounds judgmental. Right, right. But I don't mean it to. So yeah. I'll give you a personal example. There are folks that kind of thrive... Mm-hmm. with chaos yep. and there's others that don't i don't thrive with structure <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I do too I, I like i have almost no desire to add and sprinkle in like i don't like it's going to take it to this place already pissed mm-hmm. right yeah like i want to plan ahead i want to get there enjoy the experience right right that i've planned yeah one, even just like a more basic example, I'm the guy that takes the interstate down to the vacation spot in Florida. Mm-hmm. My brother-in-law, who definitely thrives in chaos, and again, not judgmental, I just mean like, you know, three dogs, kids running around, like, uh-uh, no, 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 not me. He doesn't. He takes like the back roads, right? Right. And, and I'm, you know, sometimes I do, to kind of walk back my statement a little bit, sometimes I do kind of envy that. Like, man, I wish... I was, like, easygoing enough to kind of, like, want to take a slower route and at some point have a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit because I'm, you know, driving through a teeny town. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm just like, let me get down that interstate, man. Yeah, yeah. And get to the place and then enjoy my Like trip. I so said, anyways. it's that point A to point B. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't really necessarily want to start adding C D E F G H I. You know, I just want A to B. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, Well, and before we move on, a lot of this also, I'm sure these folks were into, you know, there's this concept of like, called chaos magic also. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you start getting into, you know, Aleister Crowley, Kenneth Grant, and even like into like H.P. Lovecraft. There's a lot of this sort of idea. Uh, I think probably most notably in the modern age is uh, one of my favorite writers, Grant Morrison, who wrote a book called The Invisibles for DC, or Vertigo technically, but he he described even this, so he was a, you know, like a, he practiced chaos magic. And so he was really big into like sigils, and sigils are, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And it's kind of, it is kind of sort of chaotic. So it's like you, you get rid of the vowels in your name, you sort of draw out these, the letters, and sort of combine them so if, like, I don't know how to really do it without a visual, but he actually treated this book, The Invisibles, as what he called a hypersigil. And so it was this sort of like a little miniature version of like the bigger magic universe. So basically he viewed it as like, okay, whatever happens in the comic, it's almost like a voodoo doll. It's like whatever happens mm-hmm. in the comic, whatever I write is going to create changes and, sort of manifest these things in the real world, which is kind of, kind of awesome. And, and in doing so, it, the book kind of exploded and, um, it's just, it's really an interesting kind of thing. And a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of sort of pop musicians and, and artists and stuff sort of flirt with this, this idea of like chaos magic. But I think I, like we were saying before with, with these twins and then having a lab in an ashram, it's chaos magic is sort of the spiritual version of chaos theory, which is sort of living in like physics and science and
0: nature and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting as you were saying that, like I started thinking like there is actually a place that I enjoy sort of the quote unquote chaotic nature of Mm -hmm. things. And that's in like creation. Yeah. Oh, you know, like in, in terms of like music or art or, you know, even even the podcast, for example. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to be reading from a script the whole time. I want the chaos to ensue. But well, you well, you know, as as we could see from the first time that we tried to record this episode, sometimes <laughs> that doesn't, you know, go as as, as we want it to. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to Joseph Matheny.
1: Well, real quick though, it's funny you say that because, you and I, actually have two completely different views of like preparation for this show. And I mean, yeah. I mean mm-hmm. we're kind of looking behind the curtain a little, but it's funny because with Woody, it's like planning <laughs> and and that's when he thrives. Not, like, you know, like I have like an outline of the, the things yeah. that I want to make sure that we make a point of. Me, on the other hand, I mean, I'll still do a ton of research. It, you know, if it's... if well, it's No, I will do a ton of research. I think, it, I think what we've uncovered here is Woody does a ton of work and <laughs> Tyler shows up. That is not true. But... I and you can ask Woody this. I like no work at all. He, oh, did I answer it? No, that is not true. He'll call and he'll be like, "Okay, so I think the outline should be kind of like this." And he'll start like he'll get into like saying what he's going to say. <laughs> and I know that if I do that, then I'm going to totally f*** it up when it comes to mm-hmm. to showtime. So like mm-hmm. I for me the best thing is
0: like staying out of that. And that's probably why I ramble so much. Well, and also like not to bring it back to the musical thing, but I think that we also approach um, even just like in a way like yeah, playing in, in the same way. Like I was just, I mean, we were both like very adamant about like rehearsal yep. and that kind of thing mm-hmm. because we wanted to also, I mean, we understand the concept of like you're putting on a show, you're creating an mm-hmm. experience for an audience, but like... Uh, Like, I was so, it's the same thing. Did we already talk about this? Like, how I am, there's people that just get up and say, you know, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then there's folks like myself who are like, uh, you know, no, no, no. I'm following a training plan. Right. It's already mapped out for me. So, I don't have to, like, use that piece of my already busy brain. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's already planned. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, like, I kind of approached in a way the rehearsal part of, like, music that way, whereas, like, you could just, like, pick up the guitar and you can, like, noodle through if you wanted mm-hmm. to, and then, you know, you'd be good to go. Yeah. Me, like, that's, like, that sounds like my worst nightmare. Like, someone's just like, all right, man, hey, man, let's get together, hey, man, let's get together and jam. Well, it is it is funny. I'm that like, you... oh, I don't want
1: to Well, that. I mean, I kind of, unless it's, like, our own band, I kind of hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I am... And it's funny because I think it's almost like a subconscious sort of part of my brain that Mm -hmm. that clicks on when that happens because I am like you, especially when we're we're together writing lyrics and stuff. It's very sort of like by the... I mean, not by the book. I don't know if that's the right way. It's very sort of methodical and like laid out. But then I am really big into, uh, you know, and I've played at a lot of churches and stuff like that. And so... I my I'm I'm pretty good at like like in, you know improvisation like mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. it's like a portion of my brain clicks on and I'm I just get into this sort of flow state which is pretty mm-hmm. amazing and and we would also do that whenever it was yeah we're playing a lot mm-hmm. I think I think you're you're discounting yourself in that a little bit too because yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, think for like, you it takes I, a
0: longer time to get there. Well, and it just depends on like the setting. Like my mind is open and I'm sort of like available to that Mm -hmm. kind of thing when uh, under certain circumstances. And there's other times where it's like, I don't want to do that. That's not how I operate. Well, I just think of Mississippi, that show. Mississippi, dude, also Mm -hmm. Baton Rouge. Yeah. When we showed up and the guy (laughs) was like, all right, man, so here's how we're going to do it. Usually we have, because we're like, okay, who's the opening act? And they're like, huh? No, 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 no. What we do is we have, You have two one-hour sets, and we're like, huh? (laughs) And so we just divided up the set list, and then, you know, oh, God, it's just, I thought it was awesome. It was awesome. Boy, it took a couple drink tickets to make it awesome. Okay. yeah, yeah. Look, dude, we got to get back on track here about how he kind of discovered this. So going back to Joseph Matheny, he had this buddy, Bob, who, as we know, helped with the development, allegedly helped Mm -hmm. with the development of the metaphase typewriter, okay, Joseph Matheny's hanging out over at Bob's place. And Bob says, hey, man, you ever seen these? And he kind of like shows Joseph Matheny this like, I don't know, like these Xerox papers that are just like, you know, stapled together or whatever Mm -hmm. from his bag. He's like, yeah. Matheny kind of picks these up and takes a look at them. And he's like, "Uh, no, I've never seen them. And he says that at first glance, it just kind of looks like a science catalog. And as he's kind of like looking through these, he's, he actually like, is like, dude, I've got actually a lot of these books that this thing lists. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, like they hung out for a while before uh, Bob left, Matheny was like, hey man, do you mind if I hold on to this for a little bit? And Bob was like, no nah, man, it seems like it's right up your alley anyway, whatever. And then, you know, that was that. Mm-hmm. Joseph Matheny says he didn't really even think about it much over the next couple of days, but a few days later, he kind of decided to kind of take a deeper look and that's when he discovered that there's this strange thing and we've got a picture of the cover of this catalog that he references all throughout this mystery and kind of what kicked it off and kind of made him aware of the Ong's hat potential gateway to another dimension Mm. and this company is called like Incannabula yep incunabula incunabula boy that word never gets easy incunabula yeah it's a strange strange thing but it's just it says on this first thing and it just says that this catalog i'm sorry incunabula catalog of rare books manuscripts and curiosa uh conspiracy theory frontier science and alternative worlds emory cranston yeah and like i said before there is a 27 book list and within that list that we're gonna go again in deeper detail about over on the patreon there's some really really interesting stuff mm-hmm. that's essentially how joseph Matheny got involved in all of this like tyler kind of mentioned i think at some point this nick herbert character who was also the quantum typewriter mm-hmm. you know definitely on that project had written a couple of books he was a physicist as well some of his books are actually listed yeah and there's even like this full interview that joseph Matheny kind of did where he asks nick herbert about all kinds of stuff everything from you know background to alternate dimensions mm-hmm. that, that this book written by herbert and herbert was like a badass physicist and mm-hmm. i think
1: he was like one of the founders of like a lot of this stuff like you know what i mean yeah. and so he and also he would have been i think it's important to say that he he was born in, like, the 30s, so he would have been older. Like an, So, uh, Matheny would have really looked up
0: to this guy. Yeah, you know for sure. Like, he was, a, he was a big name. Yeah. And, they, I mean, they talk about everything from... And here's the thing. This book that I'm kind of referencing, all of this is called Ong's Hat, The Beginning an Authorized Version by Joseph Matheny. Mm-hmm. And it has that interview. And our patrons will, of course, enjoy... Being able to thumb through this book as well, we're going to put a, uh, pieces of this up there, interviews with Nick Herbert mm-hmm. and things get like really in depth about all kinds of stuff. Like ultimately though, Joseph Methening later appeared on coast to coast. Yeah. Um, yeah. he was all over internet forums and chat pages and as the internet evolved folks, this is a mystery that, I mean, still to this day is, is, is discussed on places like Reddit and 2Chain and all these places. God, I love that. Um, I hate it at the same time. (laughs) So, you know, he allegedly, you know, kind of stopped everything that he was doing. He became like an investigative, not reporter necessarily, but he was really kind of trying to figure all this stuff out. People were trying to figure out where is this gateway in Ong's hat? right? You know, people flocked to the Pine Barrens trying to find it. Ultimately almost in, like, a scavenger hunt-like way for everybody in the online community trying to piece together all these clues, these locations, these theories, these mysteries, all built within, like, you know, like I said, real books that are on this list, mm-hmm. real concepts in, in, in science, you know? And then it kind of gets into that fringe science stuff. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, this is one of those mysteries that doesn't really have a definitive conclusion so to speak. Right. But when we come back from this break, we're going to kind of talk about information that has come to light since this urban legend began.
1: We'll return
0: after these messages. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. or a vampire, what a vampire. I think you really know
1: what's happening around here, don't you? If anyone out there won't. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to
0: That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. I think it's important for us to kind of explore a little bit of Joseph Matheny's uh, upbringing mm-hmm. and stuff. Now, some of this stuff, Ty, I don't know if you know this, but it's, again, it's pretty cool. So, Matheny, while he was growing up, he spent a lot of summers with his grandfather, who was the owner of a three-ring circus. Mm. He grew up around people who were, like, amazing storytellers. He He, like, explains, like, and describes, like, his grandfather being just somebody that was almost magnetic, you know? Mm -hmm. We've all been around those kind of people. I'm not trying to, (laughs) you know, I'm not trying to point any fingers, but we've all been around those people that are just excellent at storytelling, you know? Like, they can turn a a potential, like, silly, boring situation into, like, one where people are, like, laughing and having a good time. And and so, for the most part, you know, I think subconsciously we're all kind of drawn to that type of character. And that's kind of like what his grandfather was. And so... Kind of like the bard. Kind of like the bar. D. Yeah. Although I would say, Woody, I think
1: I think you have always kind of represented that with me. Like I can tell a good story, but it's gonna be there's gonna be five extra pages of rambling. Tons of ums.
0: Yeah, that could have yeah, just know. been taken out. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. You're welcome, pal. He from a very young age was inspired by this. He's inspired by the circus, the performance of it all, the the ability to invoke emotion from the audience, Mm -hmm. whether that's excitement or fear or, you know, disgust or laughter, whatever it is. Yeah. He was inspired by that. He was inspired by his grandfather just being great at just like, you know, telling a story and spinning yarns and, and like creating like a world for someone to live in within their own head. And Interestingly enough, whenever he was younger, he began to take, he was like a major in cinematography during the early 80s. -hmm. And this is another one of those situations where it's kind of hard for people to kind of remember, myself included, because we've all got the equipment for an excellent movie, essentially, right in our pocket every day. Oh, yeah. You know, like, we're carrying these video cameras that are so much better than the ones that we used to use on tour, man, when we were like, we need to make a tour diary. Oh, yeah. You go back and look at that footage, it's like, good Lord, man, that's god-awful, you know? Yeah, for sure. And now we just have that at the ready. Well, back then, it, it wasn't like that, right? And so, Joseph Matheny's desire to, you know, reach a broad audience with, like, storytelling and all this kind of stuff, when he started to realize that there was a potential global platform mm-hmm. such as the internet, a place where you could reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people and deliver a story to them mm-hmm. a lot easier than you could, you know, cause you got to think back then too, there was no such thing as like Instagram reels right. or TikTok, right like now we live in a world where everybody's a creator because they can lean their phone down mm-hmm. and do a dance yeah and that makes them creative <laughs> yeah. and that's not a judgmental statement yes it is <laughs> <laughs> and uh back then it wasn't the case if you wanted some if you wanted a bunch of attention and someone to hear your song, watch your movie. There were a lot of steps involved and there were a lot of gatekeepers yeah. involved, right? Well, And you have to just be willing to just bust your... Yeah. And get out there and work. And work and put it in and, and, then, and then hear the word no a lot, right? <laughs> Rejection is, is a... Uh, yeah. That comes with the entertainment. Well, as the home computing revolution began to kind of just kick off in the late 80s, he really thought, wow, this is interesting, right? Now I've got people who have access to stories and stuff and this kind of ignited his imagination even more and he got he started to plan a story that he would or that he could incorporate within this internet age this guy is kind of like what tyler and i have referred to before which is like this generation that's in my opinion got a large advantage over a lot of generations because we have one foot in the analog age and one foot in the digital age and if you can learn how to like utilize both Mm -hmm then, you know, kind of the world's your oyster, or in Ong's case, mm-hmm. your hat. Nice. There it is. So he began to plan this story and had heard about this area of, of Ong's hat before. You know, everything from, the, the, again, this is a town that has, like, a mysterious origin. Just around the name mm-hmm. is a situation where, uh, you know, it, it was kind of close to some serious historical events there was a weapons grade plutonium leak there yeah. even in an interview uh, that i found he kind of talks about how like the locals you just pick any local and they're just a bunch of like folklore mm-hmm. and legends just with we mentioned earlier the jersey devils from this area right oh yeah and so utilizing this area he began to take bits and pieces of legend lore mm-hmm. And pieces of reality, book titles, Mm -hmm. names, true concepts, real philosophy, real uh, pseudoscience, Mm -hmm. physics, quantum physics, all of these things, and began to create what would become, allegedly, well, I know Tyler's going to come in later about this, but allegedly... (laughs) maybe one of the very first augmented reality games in
1: history. Yeah, yeah. and for those folks that don't know, an augmented reality game, or ARG, as it's typically sort of phrased, is kind of a way of, it's this sort of very well-thought-out game or sort of delivery sort of approach of media where it kind of keeps an anchor in the real world. So it feels like, it, it, there's there's sort of a narrative or a game. That, what, what's funny is I think in a way to sort of make this easy to understand is for all you folks that originally saw The Blair Witch Project in the theaters. So yeah. before that movie came out, and I'm included in this, we all thought that the movie was real. In that first week when it came out, we all thought, oh, oh well, this is truly found footage. Mm-hmm. It's in the real world it's it's something that actually happened and they just happened to find this footage Mm -hmm. and it was terrifying it really made it just really really intriguing and fascinating because it's like oh well this is
0: there's it has a foot in the real world Mm -hmm. you know and And they they almost like preemptively in their marketing technique planted little like clues here and there missing posters Mm -hmm. that they would just plaster around towns um you know, like fake news reporting about these people that were missing. So by the time, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting to think, you're like, this is a real found footage thing. Yeah, right. You know? Right. Yeah. And so whatever I say ARG, I don't
1: exactly mean, I don't mean like, I I guess as we've moved forward, it's kind of now more associated with, with like video games. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, A lot of these things that are, you know, tied to actual, like, video games, which is cool. But this is sort of more, like,
0: sort of a more, like, old-school kind of approach. So, like... To me, it's even more, like, I mean, because it's so, like, Mm hands-on and, like, real. Like, Mm -hmm. that's true augmented, you know? Like, I mean, it's not just, like, I'm looking through my phone and, oh, man, there's a, you know, a dinosaur in my living room. This is, like, because he's using elements of stories that have already existed... Right And elements of reality and true places and all this stuff. He was able to kind of create this, you know, Easter egg type hunt Mm -hmm. for facts and knowledge. And like, and then by injecting that into a community that is already, in this instance, I'll use (laughs) open minded enough Mm -hmm. to kind of be open to those kind of things. I would say like statistically more likely to kind of like just buy in and dive in head first. Right. Man, I mean, he kind of, like, it's that lightning strikes moment. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I, I think it, it, it's important to note, not only was he, he the first one of these, but he was also, you know, and th- this is long before, like, the internet even came, even early Usenet, you know, version of internet. You know, he was, I just, I just imagine this dude, you know, at Kinko's, you know, in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, because you know, they used to be twenty four hours and like just print after print after print, you know, to make these these pamphlets and these flyers to like paste all over the place. and they kind it kind of got a following, you know, l- long before you know, the sort of the inner internet was introduced. And like this is something that kind of reminds me of, um, you know, in more mainstream media, I would say like like geocaching mm-hmm. uh, or like even like Pokemon Go. yeah, it's that like, It's sort of like that sort of treasure hunt kind of thing. So it yeah, there's there's that part of it that just it creates that sort of addiction to like oh we got to know more we got to do this and there's other other groups or other sort of uh, ARGs more recently that I think are are so great because they really do play into that like we said at the top like that early internet or pre internet you know zine culture that whole kind of thing there's you may know some of these like the the jejun institute the happy valley dream survey or the the willamette dream survey they're these really sort of obscure things and they're they're utilizing like flyers and all that stuff and and you know there will be like real telephone numbers and you call the number and then it you know it leads you to this other thing and I, i
0: think i think they're amazing yeah and we're like i think potentially some folks listening now may just be like pissed Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the discovery of like all of this was just allegedly the creation of well i mean there's no other way to put like a brilliant mind because yeah even just like what you just said where oh there's clues that you discover there's an actual like phone number that you call and someone Mm -hmm. all of that thinking ahead man is just incredible yeah, so, it, and, it really and, and it's just like next level creativity. And it's just really cool. Uh, you know, cool in the sense of like, as long as nobody's getting hurt kind of thing, right? Right. Things start to get kind of interesting. So like he does explain in this book, like all of the different cool ways that he did this, this, and, and this. Mm-hmm. To, to, to just kind of sum it all up, he essentially collaborated with other folks and would do these like interviews. He would digitize the interviews and print them out in a catalog that was mailed out to people. Now in this interview that I heard he actually describes, like, I mean, he did everything, like, the steps that this guy took is just incredible. He Mm -hmm. would, like, he would find this list of people that would be, you know, interested in this kind of stuff. You know, the producers over at Coast to Coast, the this, the that. And he would mail them these catalogs Mm -hmm. and this information, but he would first mail it to a, I had never even heard of this, what's called a Mm re-mailer. And in this instance, it was a re-mailer, business in hong kong and basically they just remail all of those letters in bulk using their mailing address yeah and so like all of a sudden you're at your mailbox you open it you got this weird envelope from hong kong you're like what the heck you open it up it's this strange pamphlet Mm -hmm. and at the top of the show that's what i was reading from that's what's in that pamphlet And, and like one of the last things that you would read is something that kind of sounds not threatening necessarily but certainly kind of scary and you know and i'll redo it here it says in any case uh we know something about you your interests deeds and desires works and days and we know your address Mm -hmm. otherwise you would not be reading this brochure and so like there's just this like insane amount of like whoa you know like Mm -hmm. this is crazy and so like by the time all of these sort of seeds were planted i think What he found out relatively quickly, and I say relatively quickly because, I mean, this lasted for years and years and years. And I think part of the reason he began to kind of step away from it Mm -hmm. was somewhat after his appearance on Coast to Coast. He, he, He started, like, people were showing up at his doorstep. He noticed that on the forums, people were taking things to, like, another level, like, the, the the forums became less pleasant. People started getting nasty, taking it too seriously. Yeah. Rumors emerged that people were getting sick just by researching the story. Mm. It just reminds me of like Twitter. I hate Twitter so much. Right, right. And it's just well, like and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that and just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some somebody like uh, figured out his address mm-hmm. and came to they just were like outside of his window at mm-hmm. his home, and he had to escort this individual off the property at gunpoint, dude. Wow. And at that point, he's like, you know, this is, this is wild. So he made this like public statement. He released this book that basically explained it all and and showed that like, you know, hey, look, this was a, I don't even know if you want to call it a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. This was just fun, you know? Right. And he realizes, I've, I've heard this interview too, he takes full responsibility of, of you know, people getting mad about it mm-hmm. and and all that. People would even on these forums claim that they like have intercepted his like emails or that he, they're going to make them public mm-hmm. and you know secrets that they believed he was holding on to and they would even call the his like workplaces dude and say like listen you can't trust this guy he's in you know like i mean just yeah. harassment i mean well, seriously
1: and, and i think i think too you know it, it's kind of that thing that goes along with being the first at something you know right i think nowadays if this came along, it would be not that it would be taken less serious, but I think I think the repercussions that he faced wouldn't be nearly as like intense or severe. People yeah. showing up at your house and all that stuff because nobody knew at this point. And I'm still I'm still a little as far as it being true or, or completely fake. Mm-hmm. But you know, if we are regarding it as completely fake and just and I, I don't mean like fake. I mean if it's like a game you know, this sort of uh, sort of folklore and sort of anthropology that he's created. You just imagine the, the, just how furious these people would be because they're thinking it's so serious and they're just, like, researching and just, like, every waking moment is, like, how can I figure out more about, you know, these, these like, this chaos institute and, like, stuff like that. And then you find out, like, oh, it was just a game. You know, it kind of just yeah.
0: goes with it, unfortunately. Right, right. Yeah, one of the things, you know, I, that I think would potentially put it kind of like any doubts of whether or not he actually just created this or whatever, something that he said was like, you know, look, in the original sort of CD-ROM, there was like a CD-ROM mm-hmm. um, that he started sending out rather than like the paper publications, I guess, And within that, yeah, no kidding. Dude, Jeez, what I wouldn't dude. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't have he, a place to play a CD-ROM.
0: Yeah, that's true. Now, I don't. but. I think I have like a I think I have an external drive somewhere, ya. but God knows if it works, man. I have no yeah. idea.
2: Yeah,
0: he produced a CD ROM with all the material used as the basis for the game, which he had documented, called Secret Doc, explaining what it was, in like the fine print essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know, people kind of still ignored it. Now, again, this is from an interview. Who knows? You know, we can't find that. I don't have that CD ROM. I can't verify yeah. that. but you know, reading through the book and stuff. I would kind of let everybody else sort of decide, but, you know, here's what's all kind of, well, I'll say this, something that you said earlier and and kind of getting back to that as we kind of begin to wrap this up mm-hmm. is the power that this kind of has. You know, we live in a day and age where to be able to, I think, do something like the, the gatekeeper stuff is even easier mm-hmm. now. I mean, I'm sorry, like there's less of a gatekeeper in any of these platforms Mm -hmm. that would prevent anybody from just like making up something that could be harmful Mm -hmm. or just making something up and then everyone just latches onto it. And then it's just like, yeah, you know, you and I talked about this on the phone a couple of days ago and it's like, dude, even something stupid, like a reality TV star Mm -hmm. front page, like whatever, when, when a publication comes back to like, issue an apology or Mm -hmm. retract their statement that's not a one that's not a first page story that's you know buried deep within the pages yeah because there's a new front page story Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and so like unfortunately that's sort of like the 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 scary thing about it all Mm -hmm. that you could create something like this it takes a life of its own which it sounds like that kind of happened with him he was just like man it just kind of Took a life of its own. It became so big mm-hmm. and so difficult that, like, I couldn't steer it away from the right. direction it was going. Really, without trying to, just you know, I mean, it's kind of like, like Fight Club, really. Like yeah, when he, yeah. he started the, um, oh, you mean Project Mayhem?
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot like that, where you know this thing was created and then you know more members joined and more allegiance to it.
0: You know, uh, yeah, it like surpasses the 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 allegiance to the idea surpasses the, their allegiance to the founder, the creator. Yeah, right, 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 and that's when it becomes like scary as heck. I think that happens. I mean, God, arguably, I think that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, things kind of just like get away from. I think any sort of like big group organization, that kind of that kind of stuff can happen sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know? I mean, I I think of you know you think of of like QAnon and. I have mixed opinions on this because I do, th- there is a validity to a lot of the things that, that would happen that were sort of predicted. Um, but, you know, because of that, like regardless whether you look at it as like a good thing, a bad thing, I think we all can agree that it was this thing that started small and then it just sort of took over. Now, again, I think, I think there's a lot of good that came from it, especially, you know. Now we know about a lot of the human trafficking and sex trafficking stuff. Uh, we know we know about a lot of that stuff because of QAnon. Now, again, this could be a total psyop and total BS. I actually have a theory that, and you know, I'm not driving away from the dock just yet, but I actually have a theory that that the QAnon thing, while I believe that there are real people you know, real physical people that were sort of tied into its beginnings. I think I think the actual QAnon itself is maybe an early form of like like a chat GPT like AI. Mm, like a yeah early iteration of, uh, yeah. of AI. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and and if you look at it that way, it's even more interesting because it maybe it was able to predict these things because it was able to pull from all of the internet to see certain like patterns Mm -hmm. in its algorithm. And I mean, it it could be really fascinating, but anyway, all that to say is like that, that's sort of a modern look at how like, you know, good or bad, something sort of took on a, a life of itself and just sort of became bigger than, than maybe it's intention, you know? Right. I will say this. I think for me, I love this story so much I think the coolest part for me is, is the guy, like Joseph Matheny. I think he, and it's hard to sort of put into words, but as we, we sort of researched and, and sort of read more about him, he, he sort of represents this, this character, this type of guy that I don't really see. You don't really see anymore. He's, he's a guy. And I've known several of these guys throughout my lifetime that were, you know, maybe one or two generations before us, where, or maybe the same generation as you, but um, mm-hmm. it's this guy that, uh, that you know, would have been in their their twenties in like the early eighties,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or even maybe even like mid eighties, whereas like we were we were really young at, at, in the beginning of the eighties. So it's this this you know super intellectual guy. You know, he's tied into, he's, you know, we talked about this on the phone. I think you said that he's he's the guy who, instead of going to the party, he's going to, like, hang out with his friends, and they're going to just, like, totally nerd out over this new book on, like, quantum physics. Or, right. And it was this sort of, this, you know, sort of carrying the mantle of these, you know, pseudo-intellectuals like the beat poets, like, mm-hmm. you know, the early, like, French, you know, philosophers and stuff. It's like where these guys would sort of sit around, and sort of throw out these ideas and bounce ideas off each other to to come up with these these you know pretty brilliant ideas and i think i think you don't really see that anymore and what's right. interesting about it is i ran across some information where he actually was a discordian he was into discordianism and that may sound familiar because our episode on the illuminati card game Uh, Steve Jackson, the creator, he was a Discordian.
2: That would be rad. Season three, episode nine, Illuminati, the game of conspiracy.
1: And what's interesting and serendipitous and synchronistic to today is actually he's really big into Discordianism. And so on May Day today in 1980, he would found the Order of the Illuminati Scordians which was this sort of sect of Discordianism. And I just thought that was really, really,
0: Man, it is really cool.
1: Funny. And the, the cool thing, too, is that like Discordianism as a whole is, is sort of it's just this, this character. It's like this this like sort of trickster uh, sort of archetype, you know, like it's sort of looked at as like a religion, but even, even if you're serious about it, it's sort of still done with sort of like a wink and a nod kind of, you know, and, and looked as sort of like a satirical religion. I mean, even, you know, it's founded, you know, they sort of worship the goddess of strife and discord and which, you know, basically, or chaos. And so it's this idea that like they, Everything is sort of tongue in cheek. It's like, oh well, this is real. So if you if you look at that and look at like, oh well, he was into like discordianism, this sort of like chaos thing. Everything is kind of like not necessarily like a joke, but there is an element that I would, you know, like Robert Anton Wilson and like those guys. It it does sort of lean into it being a big thing where like, hey, we're we're these super highly intellectual folks and we know a lot more than all of you know you people below us and so and i'm not saying that in like necessarily a bad way but it's like we know so, we know all these things cuz we've studied all these things and so we can lay these things out as like pure fact and we know that it's going to trick 99% of you yeah you know what i mean and yeah. and what was cool too is i looked into it reminded me whenever i discovered that he was a, a discordian like steve jackson from the Illuminati card game, He th- there's also this thing called the Church of the Subgenius, which is also kind of this sort of like parody religion. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, the whole thing, it was created in the 70s and it was the, always sort of a joke. I mean, the whole thing was kind of about this guy named J.R. Dobbs, which oddly enough, he goes by the name Bob, hmm. which is, is also the Bob. There's also a Bob, who was Joseph Matheny's friend, who only would go by the name Bob, mm-hmm. in that story. So I find that really sort of. I mean, maybe there could be something there. Uh, who's basically this dude in the '50s who was repairing a, like a television set in the '50s, and he was basically this whole message from this this God called Jehovah One, basically gave him delivered this message to him, and so it's this whole kind of thing. But if you look a little further into it, the interest, the the most interesting thing about like the Church of the Subgenius is when you look at the members, and, and again, like these are all these guys that don't really exist anymore, but they're they're these guys that that they're all kind of in that same thing. So we have like one of the bigger proponents is Mark Mothersbaugh, or you know he was a one of the founding members of Devo, Paul Rubens, who was Lee you know, Herman. Herman, you have David Byrne from the Talking Heads. You have Robert Crumb, who's like one of my favorite comic artists and cartoonist. And what was cool too is like, so Crumb sort of made the Church of the Subgenius known even more because like you know he was really big into like early counterculture comics in that in the early eighties, well seventies. But he published the Subgenius pamphlet in his his comics anthology Weirdo. And it's cool because a lot of these members of this church are also kind of known now as being collaborative partners to Ong's hat. And so it's this sort of like circle. It's like all these, you know, it's like I, I started down this rabbit trail of like, oh, well, man, this guy sounds a lot like this, or he sounds a lot like he would be into this church of the subgenius. And then once mm-hmm. I got to it, I find that like, come to find out, Boom. oh, they're all tied together you know so I I just I think that's really cool and I think that guy you know that all these dudes that I listed it's like that's the guy that is you know it's all done with like a wink and a nod I mean even even you look at like Devo and Pee Wee's Playhouse and Pee Wee it's like yeah it's always like even if if it comes across as like silly it's still totally brilliant and totally sort of you know that they know something that you don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure, man. It, and
0: like, I don't know. I think like the way it all kind of wraps up to... We will return after these messages. There's
2: something out there waiting for us.
0: Hey, this is Bryce
1: Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on that would be
0: rad because that is rad. For better or for worse here, this was one of the most fascinating mm-hmm. it was one of the it was the groundbreaking, yeah, mystery. They I think still captivates. I mean, it's something that you said too, it's like still, yeah hard to believe Mm -hmm. in a way that it was made up Yeah, because of how well it was planned. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. He he like operates, I think, at a level. We kind of talked about this the other day on the phone too. You kind of feel like these folks are operating at a level where they have like a greater understanding of, you know, their their target audience really, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and it's like even Pee Wee, Pee Wee's Playhouse, or the fact that, like, you know, so it's like the Devo guy, the talking heads guy, Pee Wee mm-hmm. Herman, they kind of all, and I mean, Crumb, they're all that sort of same kind of, like, character in a way. Yeah, like it's a trickster kind of... They share some, yeah, they share some characteristics that are like, oh, okay, similar personality types for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's very, it's so interesting to me, and I think a lot of folks, you know, it caused a lot of animosity towards this guy. I mean, truly, mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant. Again, hopefully no one... That the, the, I guess the danger is when you can kind of become, I say you, when humans and humanity can become obsessed mm-hmm. with a single concept, yeah. I think unfortunately one of the outcomes, maybe even unintentional outcomes, is that there's some like destruction left in the wake of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Because if one person thinks their version of any story is the only right one, mm-hmm. you know, it can get a little. It can get a little. Uh, yeah, crusty.
1: Yeah, yeah. It definitely gets a little um, kind of dangerous a little bit. Yeah. I th- I think that, and I mean, I guess we've sort of, you know, we're reaching the end. And I think I, I think my beliefs on this are, you know, once I found out that he and did a little digging and find out that he's he's into discordianism and into. You know he he's he's in these circles of these similar guys. I think that's it, it made it a lot easier to go down than it was totally like a, a, a genius level, tongue-in cheek sort of trolling and you know, early or earliest form of an ARG. And I think it's I think it's genius. However, I still there's still like maybe two percent of me that believes that maybe not all of it, but i think maybe some things could have been pulled from reality you know like i said like or, you know maybe later in that time you know you're going to have you know project stargate and remote viewing and you know project montauk and like so so we know that this stuff is going on but and so i wonder if some of that was uh you know pulled from like maybe he did discover some things that that were sort of real. Maybe there, there was an
0: ashram where these scientists were, were doing stuff. I, I don't know. I, I think... The interesting thing about this entire thing, when you dig down to the very first instant of, like, conception here, is this list of books, right? The, the theory is all of these things, all of these clues were inserted into publicly printed material right for the most part right, right. pieces of truth that were in there mm-hmm. to kind of begin to ease you know people's uh conception of a lot of these topics mm-hmm. and to me ultimately it's interesting that yes he's saying like oh well i just you know i made it all up and stuff and here's how but at the end of the day he's kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. potentially exactly right? And so it's just like it's a big sort of like loop of, and circle yeah. of creating these concepts and getting them out into the ether. Yeah, And we've talked about it on other shows, and, and again, we're a little long in the tooth here, but that power that someone that has the ability to create something that others will see, consume yeah. in some way, yeah. uh, read, look at, listen to, you know, it's kind of a response with great power comes great responsibility. I love it. Yeah. So, um, know, well, it's cool.
1: So. I need to get, I need to just say one more thing. And this is, uh, you know, this is where we're going to kind of go off the rails a little bit. I think there's also, I ha- I'm i of, of the belief, and, you know, we've, we get pretty deep on the show. I mean, you know, like we kind of always so, say, like the folks that are here for like 80s movies and, and, uh, you know, John Hughes analyses, John Hughes analysis uh, a lot of this is probably going to grate on their nerves a little bit but you know this idea of like thought forms and tulpas and like that sort of sort of uh, high strangeness uh, you know metaphysics I think I think there is something to this though and I I and the reason why I say this is for the you know nuts and bolts guy who's only gonna go go by the facts it's like okay this dude was a giant troll he created this game and a lot of dumb people fell for it or is 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 there more to it and so I say that because you know when I found out that Joseph Matheny you know was the same kind of guy as like Steve Jackson Uh, you know they're both you know from the Illuminati card game you know A lot of the reason we brought up the Illuminati card game is there's a lot of stuff on there that it's like, how could these people know this? How how would they know to make a card that's gonna show something crashing into the side of the World Trade Center? And it's just like it's that idea that, like, okay, well, maybe, maybe several things are at play. Maybe it was completely you know, just randomly predicted. Maybe the artist was like, hey, you know, these are are two, you know, pretty pivotal points of of New York or American architecture and we'll just use that. Or was it put into place and so they they did this and so much intention was put into this thing that it maybe caused it to happen? Or it's just that idea Mm -hmm. of like, so much intention and it's like, you know, it goes back. And that's why I brought up like, you know, uh, like chaos theory and chaos magic. It's that idea of like, hey, we're going to manifest these things into reality. And so for the Illuminati card game, it was it was we're going to get we're going to make this thing and it's we're going to put it in in front of as many eyes as possible. And so all these eyes that are seeing this are now also looking at this and putting intention into this and so is it sort of creating its own egregore and like bringing it into existence so mm-hmm. like with with on's hat like you know did this stuff like was he aware of that was this part of like some sort of like maybe chaos magic kind of almost like a ritual not in the in the sense of like oh we're we're standing around with like doing incantations and you know spells and stuff but i mean Was it actual ritual in the sense of like, you know, like I said, like Grant Morrison or using like modern techniques of, hey, we're going to we're going to create this this thing. We're going to put it in front of a ton of people, especially See,
0: his idea was to create. And I forgot to mention this, but this falls perfectly into what you're talking about. His idea was to create this thing, this concept that he had that he considered like a living book. Right. Exactly. Right, so you're like mm-hmm. breathe. You're like bringing life to something that would typically just be um, inanimate, you know. Right. But because other people are adding to it, you know, creating this community, this living, breathing thing, mm-hmm. and then he also refers to it as the meta machine. Oh, wow! And that's interesting because, like, I haven't heard that in a so sense. Cool. No matter how you kind of look, like, a couple of things. Number one, I don't think you need to be a practitioner or even interested in fringe science to like understand the concept of. And we talked about this every time we talk about tulpas mm-hmm. and egregores and stuff, you know. You hear in the business world the power of positive thinking. Oh yeah, the, the affirmations, the secret, yeah. you know, all that stuff is 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 relatively available to you, mm-hmm. even if you're not like someone that likes this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. you know, that'll soften the edge a little bit there. Yeah. But right. this uh, this idea of this living book and this meta machine and like. Truly, yeah. Okay, it's not a biological organism, mm-hmm. but it is something that is alive and and changing and evolving, and yeah. um, you know, uh, always there. I mean, you know, once the concept is born, so to speak, yeah, it's there. On his yeah. hat, the legend. This is alive. It oh, lives. Yeah. We're still talking about it
1: twenty years later. That's what I was gonna say. Even us, even us being into this, us making this episode. You guys finding out about it? If you know, if it, if you haven't already, you know, closed up shop and turned off the episode, you know, you guys are probably into it, and we'll probably do more research into it as well. And like, that is that sort of, you know, ever evolving,
0: living thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating. I mean, and I know a lot of these concepts. Some of you guys listening to this out there, some of the concepts are like, like potentially high-level and kind of go over your head and you're just like, I don't really care, right? Yeah. If you think this was deep, we didn't even talk about quantum mechanics, synchro-shamanism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. other world uh, theory or uh, other world, many world's hypothesis or whatever, mm-hmm. travel cults, all kinds of stuff that uh, we didn't even touch the surface. I mean, we didn't even... We tried to keep the surface on light. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, man. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day... It is fascinating that, you know, something like this could, again, can go from a concept to almost an uncontrollable, take on an uncontrollable life of its own. And then understanding, I think, now as a a person in this world where that is just constantly becoming easier and easier to do, Mm -hmm. sort of understanding your role in all this and, and your responsibility truly to kind of you know, not necessarily create something that could cause someone harm. I mean, um, well, I, I think what I was gonna say kinda lastly, man, is back in the eighties and early nineties when this when Joseph Matheny kinda created this, mm-hmm. the um I would say the pace of how quickly things could get chaotic. Yeah. Or introduce chaos into whatever it is that he's introducing it mm-hmm. into into the world, into the ether, whatever, that sort of pace. Like, I think I used this analogy yesterday when we were talking about this. Imagine, like, information, the delivery of information being, like, a, you know, very slow-moving river yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Right. To where now it's just, like, almost instantaneous, you know? Oh, 100%. And if you put something into that stream, you got to be careful because, like, it's going to get away from you very quickly. You're not going to be able to change its change its course or take it back. It's already gone, Yeah, you know, at this point. Yeah, And so back then it was less dangerous, but I think it has it started to unfold and he started to kind of realize this and like so much of his life was probably taken up because by the way, he also created this like website for everybody so that, I mean, it still exists today actually. Yeah, it's cool. And it kind of catalogs all of the information and all of the things mm-hmm. that exist and all that so that people could have like, a centralized location. He could essentially at that point too sort of control the narrative rather than it just being everywhere. You but, know?
1: But also, I mean, and and I think you mentioned this before, you know, is is that part of the trolling? Mm-hmm. Is is this whole idea of, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying either way. I think it's I think it's incredibly interesting either way you take it. But is him just saying, oh it was all fake and and, uh, and much like our last Patreon episode where, um, is that going to be out yet, by the way? That's already out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like is. our last Patreon episode, you know, when you have this guy coming out and saying, oh, I interviewed Mike from, you know, that would have been the original guy who, or we mm-hmm. think Mike who would eventually that become Milo. Website or
0: whatever, yeah. Yeah,
1: in the Lake City Quiet Pills. You know, it it's, I, I think all that is just one of those those sort of occurrences where you have a guy who, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's easy to sort of reverse engineer like, oh, well, that wasn't real. It was this, 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 and just sort of mm. make up these things. So is the whole, you know, him sort of explaining in a way, is that part of the trolling? A misdirect direct
0: or something? Yeah, I mean, it's- Maybe the only thing that keeps me from thinking that is this. If somebody really discovered that technology mm-hmm. and this guy made it, extremely public and wouldn't necessarily be impossible to find by some large three-letter agency mm-hmm. or anything like that, this sucker would have been dead as
1: a doornail. Well, no, no, no. That, so that's what I'm... That's why... That's where that 2% of my belief that there's maybe more to it comes from. I think, how do we know that he wasn't approached? I mean, because these are, these are topics that our government has spent trillions and trillions of dollars on. You know, mm-hmm. this kind of you know, avant-garde, like, fringe psi phenomenon sort mm-hmm. of research. So how do we know that he wasn't contacted by these three-letter agencies and then yeah, it's like, hey, you redact all this stuff or you come out and say it was all all a game or else, you know? Yeah. And I think there I could I just feel be... like it'd be easier for them just to kill. Yeah, but I mean, you know, why would you do that when you can just have, like— the creator of all this stuff come out himself and say, oh, it's all fake. Yeah, that's probably true. Like you're gonna get more out of that. I mean, because think about it. If you have these like hardcore conspiracy theorists, which I, I mean I'm a conspiracy. Yeah, if, he, theorist. if he died, it's it's like it almost proves that it's real. Oh he way. would he would yeah, be yeah, yeah. he would be canonized as it's like, like a, a martyr. martyr. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so it would be way worse. So I don't know. I I think there could be something to that. Regardless, I think what we really learned in this episode is that Joseph Matheny is a high level, incredibly intelligent dude Mm -hmm. who long before the internet came along and made it convenient to quote unquote, go viral. He was a guy who, you know, he's a, he's a man out of time who lived in a time where you had to put in massive amounts of work to make these things happen. And I think, if nothing else, if it's fake, if it's real, however much of it has, you know, uh, validity to it. Yeah. I think what we all can land on is that he put in a massive amount of work
0: and it has paid off. For free, dude. For free. Yeah, like, I don't think it's paid off for him financially. Right? Oh, I no, mean, no, like no, He no, did no. all of this work for just the entertainment aspect. And to me, like, that's, and, and not like I was going to say this, another thing that I think we can glean from this is potentially at this level of, just work and like Mm -hmm. planting all these seeds like might go down in history as like one of the best storytellers of all time. Right. I I think
1: he's, he's in league with, with folks like Andrew WK with our, our, you know, geniuses from the Mayday mystery. Mm -hmm. You know, I think these are all, you know, these high level icons in this sort of, This whole, I mean...
0: It's like a game of chess, man. It's like performance art
1: maybe a little too. Yeah,
0: oh, for sure. But like being able to know, hey, if this happens, then that. And then I'm going to plant this there just in case. And then like putting that all together, Mm -hmm. being able to somewhat predict in the chaos that it's going to ensue. Yeah. Some potential outcomes and being ready for them all. I mean, that's just, it's incredible. Yeah,
1: I mean, and, and also you have to, like, I didn't even think about this until now, but it's like... You know, the Andrew W.K. thing, I wonder if he was inspired by the the Ong's hat thing. Because if you think of his, like, vision Mm -hmm. journal or vision, Mm -hmm. what was it called? Was it vision Mm -hmm. journal or vision diary? I can't remember. But, like, the book that was supposedly, like, you know, quote, unquote, like, found. Yeah.
2: That would be rad. Season two, episode four. The Andrew W. K. Conspiracy. I mean,
1: that's basically the same thing as this, uh, this catalog, mm-hmm. you know, that we're going to get more into in our Patreon episode, which leads me to this. If this wasn't enough, if these two hours weren't enough and you need more rambling and more in-depth, granular information, head on over to Patreon. We have The Rabbit Trail and there's many different tiers to suit your sort of financial, you know, status at the moment. We have a good time. It's a little loosier. L- loosier? Uh, I was I meant to say loosey goosier. It's just a little more relaxed. Usually it's done a little later in the night. And so uh, it's a lot of fun and it lets us sort of get a little more in depth, talk about more sort of random stuff that's going on, whatever. But if that sounds interesting, head on over to Patreon. We'd love to see uh, our members of the rabbit trail, our best friends. We value so much, we're so grateful for. If you don't feel like doing that, you just wanna drop us a line, head on over to Instagram. That's where the bulk of our social media presence is. Drop us a line in the comments, shoot us a DM. We'd love to hear your, maybe urban legends in your area. I say this every time, but I I, I gotta keep going. Uh, Tell us (laughs) your, you know, maybe some paranormal encounters that you've had. Maybe you you know some things that we just totally missed about Ong's Hat. We would love to hear it. That's just, yeah. you know, we look at this as a... Um, as a living book. As a living book. That's right. That's right. Much like Ong's Hat or the Inkuna Bula? Akuna Matata. It never gets easy. That word is the worst. Yeah. But yeah, it. if you, uh, you know, if you want to leave us a message or write us a more long-form essay, shoot it on over to thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com, or even better, head on over to radpodcast.com, our website, which is sort of a one-stop shop. You can jump on to any podcatcher, listen to the show. You can leave a voicemail directly to us, you know, telling us your paranormal story or your localized uh, sort of urban legend. Those are the things that really keep us going, and we absolutely love us when we absolutely love it. Anything else? Am I missing anything?
0: No, I was just going to say, Joseph Matheny, if you're listening. Oh God, yeah, boy, would we ever love to have you on the show. Absolutely, and if you're friends and with, it's Joseph, mainly just going to be us just praising your storytelling <laughs> capabilities. I mean, surely so.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll literally be two hours of us just
0: telling you like a little sprinkle of begging for a, a copy of the CD-ROM. But outside of that, we would just yeah. or one we'll of those original
1: pamphlets. Also, we'll if you're professional, if you do love the show and you want to give us a gift. If you guys know where to find any of this original uh, sort of analog material from Onk's Hat, Mm -hmm. man, that would really make make our day. Amazing. Buy us a coffee, go buy some merch on our link tree. If you have the time, leave us a five-star review or tell that one single weirdo friend, maybe that guy that you know who's a little older now, but he was that Joseph Matheny character back in the 80s. Hey, tell that guy about the show, because yeah. he'll get it. Trust, it. Trust me.
0: Trust okay. me. Okay, cut that out.
1: Anyway, I guess that's about it. You got anything else, Woody? And that's it, man. We love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the
2: way it goes.
0: clouds in a time where i just needed some sunshine you were already
1: dead for you became a ghost you always said our future would be a parade of
0: I think we should just dive well, in. B- b- Before we give it up. He's going did... to keep us from diving in. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. Dude, you had a line yesterday that I wrote down that was so good, f- and I'm totally stealing it. I can't remember what it's from. I think it was from one of the, one of the catalog
2: mm-hmm.
1: books or whatever.
0: Silk and white sheets of birth <laughs> and death. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, no, dude. I mean, some of those, like, I do want to dive into those on the Patreon. Oh, yeah. Like, in too. a way where we're just not, like, getting too conceptual. Because, I mean, like, I started thinking. <laughs> it does get a little heavy. I started thinking about that. Like, this morning, like, I was like, my God. As I was, like, diving deeper and deeper into each one of these books. You couldn't stop. It's like, You can't stop. And then and then also, <laughs> it's just like, now, let me tell you a little. Now, the, the, the quantum wave. Mm-hmm. The wave function. Yeah. Is a technique that and it's just like, geez, man, there's gotta be a way to kinda Yeah. And it's like, oh, because it's just too much. But I mean, I keep going back to like
1: the fact of like when he would have wrote this stuff. I mean, these are these are like, you know, and I understand that like like these sort
0: of—that's why I think like if we could talk to this guy, man, we would relate on a level, dude. That like, oh, well, I mean, dude, be- besides the science part, but just like the the concept of creating something yeah, like this right. in a way that isn't like I'm um, just being an asshole. Yeah, uh, I know what that guy's like giddy feeling must have right. felt like when he saw. Huh, oh man, somebody—it's somebody, it's the same feeling that we had. Like when you'd be in a different city. Yeah, this is a person you've never met them. Mm-hmm. And they're singing a song, your lyrics, yeah, that you've written in an apartment. Mm-hmm. It's just like one of those surreal moments, and I bet I'm mean, like, it yeah. would have been addicting for him. I bet.
1: Oh, you know? one hundred. I mean, especially, uh, you know, now it's. Which
0: reminds me, I'm gonna make a fake email account and email all those assholes that used to make fun of us for wearing, you know, like uh, skinny jeans. God, I got you fired up earlier, it's still.